All right, let's uh, open our Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, shall we? There was a three-year-old who said, Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. And then the little boy was overheard praying. He says, Lord, if you, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. But this is one I think kind of hits home as what we're... Uh, well, we've been studying lately about uh, at, the, at the dedication of his baby brother in the church, the uh, young boy, he sobbed all the way home in the backseat of the car, and his dad asked him like three times, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And his, his, uh, finally he answered, he says, that, that preacher said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, and I wanted to stay with you guys. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> but isn't that what we've been talking about, being... Being who we are in Christ, being an example, being reality, being the truth at home, as well as when we gather here on a Sunday morning. Philippians chapter 4, stand firm in the Lord, we talked about last week because of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord and as part of pressing on, being citizens of heaven, standing firm, standing strong in the Lord. Not wavering, not turning back, but persevering and, and uh, fighting that good fight. Still going on with Jesus. Even after we heard the testimony 35 years, 35 years later, still fighting the, the good fight. Still going on and, and running the race. And that gave Paul joy. And that, that should give us all joy when we, when we know uh, people around us that are still standing strong, standing firm in the Lord Jesus. Not that, you know, we don't have trials and troubles. We sang that song, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, whether it's, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny, whether it's a good day or it's a bad day, we're still holding on to Jesus no matter what. Our feet firmly planted on the rock. Today we're going to look at three sort of, three, three sort of topics and whether they're kind of connected or not. Maybe in God's plan and God's word, things are always related, right? They're always connected. But maybe for each one of us, it might be connected in a slightly different way. But the first subject is conflict and division. The second is rejoice in the Lord. And the third one is gentleness. And um, let's look at verse 2, the first one about conflict. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I, ha- and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They seem to be having a little bit of conflict. Would you not agree? Or would you agree? How did I say that? They're having a little bit of conflict. They didn't seem to be getting along, these two. And we know from what, what Paul wrote there that they were believers, right? They worked with Paul. They contended with Paul in the gospel. So... What does that mean? I mean how, could, how could that possibly be? Two Christians, right? Two Christians not getting along? Is that for real? Can that happen? Some of you are married. Do you guys ever have conflict? Come on, let's get real here. It's, um, Oswald Chambers, the, uh, the guy who wrote a lot of like, um, devotional books, he says, life without conflict is impossible. 
Life without conflict is impossible. And so we kind of got to get used to the fact of it that it is possible and, and it's going to happen. It happens in our relationships. And, you know, if we could go live on an island somewhere by ourselves, we'd have conflict with ourselves. Conflict is, you know, it, it's, it's going to happen. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. We, we don't know what happened between these two. And, they, you know, these two women, they had some kind of misunderstanding or, or some kind of disagreement. We don't have any details, and maybe that's because the reasons are going to be myriad. And we could say, well, that's never happened to me. But we have plenty of other areas, plenty of other reasons why we end up in some kind of conflict with somebody. So maybe some of you haven't, you're in conflict right now with somebody, right, like, Right now, maybe you had conflict here on the in the car on the way, you know, with your kids, with your husband, your wife. You kind of know what I'm talking about, and your your face is turning red, so I'm not going to look at you. And and you know these kinds of things happen, right? So my wife and I, we just take two cars now, and um, just solve that problem. It's it's you know, you got to do what you got to do, right, to make sure it doesn't happen. Maybe depends. It doesn't appear to be, though, about any kind of foundational doctrinal truth. It doesn't appear, you know, they're not, they're not you know, arguing about whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God or, you know, whether He is, you know, born of a virgin, that He died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose from the dead. They don't appear to be arguing about that kind of thing, right? Because if it was, Paul would say, listen, the truth is the truth, and, you know, this is what the truth is. Let's solve this problem right here and right now. But somebody said that disagreement serious, this was a disagreement serious enough to be mentioned in a letter to be read publicly, and he doesn't take sides but encourages others closer to the situation to promote reconciliation. This was bad enough that he had to write it in a letter knowing that the letter was going to be read publicly. It wasn't just for one person. It was going to be read publicly. I, I, you know, I don't know if I'd want to have my name mentioned, you know, like, oh, you, you know, rich and so-and-so. And, you know, but it happens. It's real. And so, but these two have put their, you know, themselves into this letter through what happened with them and and uh, hopefully for us, that we can learn some things through God's Word. God's Word is what has got to give us the direction and the understanding, right? Let's look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 1. And that's uh, to the right, obviously, after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> we want to know where these things come from, right? Well, you could say they, you know, they all came from the devil. The devil made me do it. But what does he say here? James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So, so where does it come from, these kinds of disagreements, fights, and quarrels? Ultimately, where does, where does James tell us they come from? Pardon? From with us, within us, right? And specifically what? Hello? 
our own selfish desires, right? What, what I want. What I want. No, but I want. And, and he says here that, you know, you, you actually, you know, get into these battles and you want this stuff and, and um, you don't get what you want. You know, the little kid, what happens? He doesn't get what he wants, right? What does he do or he, she do? They start to throw a fit, a tantrum. They start to get into, they grab it, take it away from the other child, right? We don't get what we want, but, but he says here, you don't have because you don't ask God. We need, to, we need to talk to God about this. We need to be praying about it. Well, if it's something that's going on, I, I need to first of all pray and ask God for it. And, and he might say no, but he might be able to straighten us out. And, and that's why we sing that song right out of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, O God, know my thoughts to see if there's anything wicked, any wicked way in me, and, and then show me the way. Lead me in the right way. We always have to be willing to go to God and say, God, like I'm feeling this thing. I want this. And, you know, you got to help me out in this. Now, Paul, the apostle, he was familiar with conflict, was he not? He had conflict, right? He and, he and Barnabas, it says in Acts 15, before the uh, church in Philippi, which we read about in Acts 16, um, he had a very sharp, it calls it a sharp disagreement with Barnabas, right? You remember that? And it says they, they, they actually parted company, and they, and they were having a disagreement over uh, a, a young man named Mark, who ends up being the Mark who's, who, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who later Paul was restored with. I want to, uh, to point that out. But they had such a, a sharp disagreement, they actually had to part company. And, and, and God used it in different ways. Uh, you know, you could say, well, it shouldn't have happened, but it happens. It's real. It does happen. So what does he say here back in Philippians chapter 4? He says, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Sintica. He, he, he pleads with each one of them. It always takes two is what I have found through the years. It always takes two. And he pleads with each one of them. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just the other. It was both of them. It always takes two. You know, I, I've learned, you know, because I'll hear one side of a story and I'll go, oh, that other person. I can see why you're so mad at them. They are just, they're definitely, they did it. They, they're wrong. And then, and then later I'll hear the other side and I go, oh, that other person. Now I understand it's the other person. You know, there's always two sides to it and always two ways of looking at the situation. You got to back off a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute. Paul says, I pleaded. I plead with, with uh, Eodia. John Corson, he kind of looked at these names, and he, he gets a little creative sometimes. He says, you know, Eodia is, is euodious, and Syntica is soon touchy. And that's the kind of the two. It's one is odious, and the other one is touchy. And you put these two together, and you have this real mix. And that's kind of the, our personalities get involved in, and our backgrounds and who we are. But he pleads with them to what? To agree with each other in the Lord. I wonder what he asked them to agree to. You ever wonder about that? What am I supposed to agree to? He pleads with them to, you guys, you guys need to get together. You need to get it together. You need to agree together to find that place in the Lord. And maybe as, as we pray, as we ask God, as we get God involved and it says to agree with each other in the Lord, Sometimes it's also to agree to what? To disagree. Sometimes we can't always be on the exact same page, and we have to say, okay, 
you know, sometimes with my wife, you know, I, I just have to accept the fact that she's wrong. And uh, I'm just going to agree to it. No. No, it's usually the other way around. I have to accept the fact that I'm wrong. And I have to agree in the Lord that we need to, be, we need to get together. We need to, to agree with each other in the Lord. Why is this so important? Well, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, a, a verse that you will know, he said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself, what? Will not stand. You're going to crash. You're going to burn, he says. If you're divided against yourself, every city, every household, if we're fighting, we're going to, we're going to create strife and we're going to bring it down. We're going to bring down the house. What was happening there in the church was affecting the other people in the church. In that particular church, Proverbs is the book of wisdom, right? I want to look at uh, quite a number of Proverbs because uh, let's turn back to Proverbs starting chapter 13 because there's uh, some stuff that we can go and maybe there's one verse in there that in this little list that we're going to look at that you can uh, say, well, that's, that's, uh, that applies to me. That applies to how I can make it, how I can make a difference, how I can kind of get through this and, and, and how I can agree how can I find that place in the Lord to agree together with that other person? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, first. It says what? Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. What does it tell us there? It tells us where some of the problem comes from, our own pride, but also the willingness to take advice. That's the opposite of pride. If you're too proud to take advice, if I'm too proud to take advice from someone, it's just going to carry on. It's just going to continue, right? We've got to be willing to take some advice sometimes. And pride is always a killer. How about chapter 15, Proverbs 15, verse 18? Proverbs 15, verse 18. <clears throat> A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Hot-tempered man. Some of us have, have that, a little hot temper, huh? Maybe, uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, I went in the back and one of the kids said, you know, I'm, he was telling me about part of his heritage. I'm such and such, you know, and I said, oh, Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a one-quarter Greek and one-quarter Yugoslavian, right? And they're known for their fiery tempers, you know. So I got this thing. My wife's half Italian, and need I say more. And, you know, you get this mixed together, and, you know, we can kind of, like, get things go. you know. I, I hate to, like, crash some of your, you don't know me that well, don't know my wife that well, you know, that, uh, that you know that we're always just, you know, on this nice, even plane of cruising together, you know, and nothing ever happens. Hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. We can get our temper, you know, get going, and we stir things up, we get things rolling, we get things happening, and, whoo, before we know it, we're, we're in the middle of this thing, and, and, and Paul's got to write a letter saying to you and to me, you, you better pay attention here. You need to, you need, I plead with you, and I plead with you, 
to agree together, get, get something together here. A patient man calms a quarrel. We need to calm things down a little bit. How about Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14? Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Do you hear what he's saying there? Starting a quarrel, it's just like, you know, the, the, the boy with his finger in the dike, right? And, you know, he's trying to hold the water. You pull that out and the water just starts gushing out. If you sometimes, sometimes you just need to let it go, right? And I know that's so hard. You just, I got to get the last word. I got to say, I got to let them know that I'm right. I got to let them know my side. I got to, and, and sometimes we just got to let it go. Just drop the matter. Drop the matter before it gets into something bigger. I have found that if you just wait a little while, if you just wait a little while, just let it, you know, just let it be for a little while, it, you get a little better perspective on it, right? This is just, is just human nature, I think. And, you know, but, but when you have, to get it all, you have to get it all together right then, and we're going to get this together, we're going to sort this out, we're going to make this happen right now, right here, usually not much good comes out of it, right? We say things that we wish we never said, we do things we wish we never did. We, you know, get in our cars. We screech out of the, you know, parking lot. <laughs> Drop the matter. Sometimes just let it go. Just let it, put it down before it turns into an all-out war. Look at verse 19, the same chapter. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 19. Any of these um, verses striking a chord with any of you, by the way? Making any sense to you? He who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. That's kind of interesting. Two, Two little things there. Some people just love to fight, right? Just love to fight. And, you know, it shows. And they don't have a lot of friends and, you know, they don't get along real well with people because they just like to have conflict. And then other people, they build gates so high that, you know, there's, no, there's not even any communication of any kind. How about uh, Proverbs chapter 20? Look at Proverbs chapter 20. And we're not even hitting every verse in here, but just... just uh, a selection here. It is to a man's honor, verse 3, to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to quarrel. Every fool is quick to quarrel. Be careful. It's like what he was saying before. Let it go. Don't be ready to jump into something. Proverbs chapter 26. This kind of ties in with that verse there. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 17 Twenty-six, seventeen. This is one that I, I remember a lot. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. I think of that. I think of that verse. Like, because I, I, I can see it in my head that grabbing a dog by the ears, right? You know, we we're not me, but upstairs are kind of dog sitting for a couple of dogs, right? And I can just see someone just grabbing them by the ears and they don't like that. 
for some reason. I'm not sure why. He could say, you know, it's like grabbing a person by the ears, you know, that, that doesn't really go real well, go over real well. But to get involved in something that is not our own, we need to be, be very careful. We don't get involved where we should not get involved. And, and sometimes we, you know, it's interesting, right? What's going on with so-and-so? It's, what? What? Tell, what happened? You know, we want to know all about it. And then we're going to tell, well, guess what I heard? And, and before you know it, everybody's involved. And, and uh, the more people involved, and, and the more it gets blown out of proportion. And when it goes from one thing to the, to the next person, you know, that game we used to play as kids, it gets changed, right? And, and what I find, it gets much bigger than it was. It changes into, morphs into something else. And before you know it, man, we got World War III going on here. We need to be careful sometimes and not meddle in other people's problems and business. I, I, I have to be careful about that too because you know, you know, I, I you know, I hear about different things and you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna, you know, if I if I know about it or whatever, I'm just gonna have to, you know, wait. I can't I'm not gonna go out looking for problems to get involved in. I don't feel that's the right thing. If someone has an, some kind of thing they need some help with, then come and, if you want to come and talk to me, come and talk to me and my wife. We, we'd be glad and more than happy to talk to you. But we're not going to go out looking for the problems to get involved in, right? Because, because so often we find that if, if you just let it, let it go, it, you know, it'll, work, it'll work itself out in so many cases and so many times. They'll work together. They'll get it together. And, and, but there are times, I, you know, when, as we'll see, in the, and we'll get back to Philippians here, you know, where you do need some help. We'll get to that. How about Proverbs uh, chapter 26, verse 20? Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. That's what I was just saying. Let's not stir things all up when they don't need to be stirred all, all up and, and let it, it'll die down on its own. Um, I, I hesitate to, to read this one, but I, I just have to. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. Oh, here we go now. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. No comment. But I had to say it because it's repeated five times in the Proverbs. Let's move right along. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse 23, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. <clears throat> Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, and those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We see the devil involved in this too. But 
But what he's saying to Timothy about, you know, watch, watch what you get involved with. Don't, don't get involved in things that you don't need to get involved with. And so, and so many things that we fight about, they're ridiculous, aren't they? They're just ridiculous. It's not mentioned. Maybe, just maybe in Philippians, Paul isn't um, mentioning what they're fighting about because nobody remembers what they're fighting about. How many times have you ever had a fight with someone and, and you know, it's like you're about to end you know, your friendship, your relationship, and then, and then two weeks later you can't even remember what it was about because it was just something ridiculous. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because they produce quarrels. Let's go back to Philippians, shall we? Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. He tells them, he asks someone there in the church to help them. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, could have been somebody named Sisgius, to help these women who have contended at my side. Help them. Sometimes it's important, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's good to get involved in if you can be helpful to them, if, you're a, if you can give them some wise counsel. One commentator said an independent, third party, someone with mature spiritual judgment. You don't just go to anybody and everybody, and I think, and I think I've seen this over and over and, and perhaps probably done it myself as well. When I'm having a problem with someone, I'm talking to all these people about it. And I'm not even necessarily asking for their help about it. I'm just telling everybody about what's going on with me and so-and-so or me and such-and-such. Such. I think we need to be very careful. You know, we, we, we talk sometimes too much, and we saw that in the, in the, uh, the Proverbs. But if there's someone who has some mature, maturity, someone who has some wisdom, someone, someone who has some spiritual judgment, it's good and it's right, and go to them. And, and if they can be trusted and they're not going to get on the phone as soon as you leave them and go and, and call, you know, 15 people and say, guess what I just found out, you know? But he says to them, he says to them here and to this person here, help them, help them. He says they were... They were co-workers. They contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They had a valuable ministry. And now, it seems now, when you look at this in context, they were, they were, um, their problems were taking away from their ministry, right? I've seen that over and over. That, you know, we get involved in things and, and stuff, and, and then it takes us away from the ministry that we are called to do, working together to actually fulfill the ministry that God has called us to do, to, to fight for and to fight the good fight. The truth is they continued against the, they were contending previously against the true enemy, right? They were fighting the good fight, contending against the true enemy, but what happens is we begin to see each other as the enemy. We're not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. You need to remember that. I'm not your enemy. You know, the person sitting next to you is not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. We have one enemy. Wives and husbands, family members, fellow church members, fellow believers... Fight together, not fight against each other. He says, our names are written in the book of life. Our names are written in the book of life. Jesus said, you know, 
when, when you're fighting the spiritual battery says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's move to the next subject, right? We just have a few minutes for each of the second two subjects, and maybe they're connected, maybe they're not. Maybe for you they are. But look in verse 4 there, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Twice in the very same verse. But, but he's, he's been um, starting this theme all throughout, uh, continuing this theme all throughout the book of Philippians to rejoice, to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Notice he says always, even when you're facing conflict, even when you're having problems, try to, try to, to get that, to that place where you're finding joy in the Lord. It'll change the conflict, right? As we rejoice in the Lord, as we find that joy in Him, the, those things that we're fighting about don't seem so important anymore. The psalmist writes these words, he says, Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Maybe we need to be revived. We need some revival happening in our own personal walk with God. Maybe we've been walking with the Lord for a long time and we're just kind of dry and, and things are dull. We need to get revived in the Lord. That's what he says. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Um, in the one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk, uh, he says these words, and, and I've read them here many times. Let me read them to you one more time. He says, Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on the fact where we have any sheep in the pen. How many of you have any sheep in the pen? Right? I mean, it's not... He goes on to say, which is pretty interesting, he says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. He enables me to go on the heights. He's going to help us get there. He's going to help us get there. I want you to turn to this verse with me, though. James chapter 1. We were already in James once before, so now you can get there very easily and quickly. I'm sure of it. James chapter 1, verse 2. <clears throat> I hate these verses. Consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Paul says Re rejoice in the Lord. James says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, of all different kinds. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, let's look back to Philippians chapter 4. In verse 5, 
And we'll stop there with that verse. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Someone translates it as this sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. I can kind of like find a connection between that and conflict. I don't know about you. Sweet reasonableness. If I'm, if I'm exhibiting that kind of gentleness, sweet reasonableness, it's going to be very difficult to get into a protracted battle with someone, right? He says, let it be evident. That's what I want. That's what I'm, as opposed to being someone who's harsh, as opposed to uh, being someone who's unreasonable. How many times you're in an argument with someone and that's, that's kind of that, those words may be coming out, you're being so unreasonable. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your sweet reasonableness be evident to all, and especially the one that's next to you. He says, come near. Well, he says, because the Lord is near, and, and I thought about this, and... and and, uh, you know, is he talking about the fact that the Lord is right there near, nearby you? Or is he talking about the fact that the Lord is near and he's coming soon, he's re- returning soon? What do you think? Let's have a vote. Those who think it's nearby, raise your hand. Those who think that he's coming soon, raise your hand. That's kind of about half and half, a little more on the coming soon, I think. But you know what I think? I think it's both. I think it's both because, you know, the Lord is, and they're both true, right? They're both true. The Lord is near. So, you know, for, for that reasonableness, that sweet reasonableness to be, to be here because the Lord is here. He's, he's, he's actually living within me. He's not only nearby, but he's within me to, by his spirit. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is gentleness, Right? The Lord is near, and, and you know, He's right here. And, 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 and when you're in the middle of an argument with someone, you know what? He's right there, too. He's not very comfortable at the moment. You, you know what I mean by that, right? Because, you know, when, and I, you know, I, I don't like conflict. No, does anybody, like, we read about in Proverbs, some people do like conflict. I'm not going to ask who, who you are. But when someone you know, nearby is there, they're getting into an argument or something, doesn't it make you just like cringe? You like feel uncomfortable? Like, oh, I wish I could like leave. I don't want to be here to see that. I don't want to be part of that. Maybe God wants you to be a part of it to help calm it down or whatever, or change the subject or whatever. But the Lord is near and he's nearby and he's right there and, and we need to, to um, ask him for help. But not only that, that he's coming soon, and we don't, we don't want to be in the middle of something that we should not be in the middle of when he returns, right? We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when it will be. His return is near. It, we see that throughout the Bible. His return is near. Peter said, you know, people say, well, you know, it's supposed to be near. People, you know, that are scoffers, they'll say, where is this coming that he promised? But Peter says, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
He's coming, he's, but he's going to come at the very right time. And, and we need to know it may not be right this second, but we, we need to know that it could be soon. James, again, he says, be patient, stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other or you will be judged, brothers. The judge is standing at the door. If he comes, he's, his coming is near. If he comes, what is he going to find us doing? Jesus talked about that, didn't he? But he's coming. He's coming soon. I want to close with uh, Romans chapter 13. If you'll turn there with me, Romans chapter 13. Some encouraging verses in many ways about his return. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's just that much closer. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. It's almost time, he says. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. What kind of people should we be knowing that the Lord is near is what he's saying. So, these three topics, again, maybe for you all of them, maybe for you one of them, hopefully one of these verses we've looked at today has got something thinking Uh, stirring up your thinking in in some way, shape, or form. God's Word is able. It's living and active. It's alive for you today. Maybe you need to go back and read one of those verses later today for yourself, by yourself, or maybe read them with someone else. Maybe you have a conflict or a division. Don't stew in it. Ask for God's help. He said, I plead with Eodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree to have the same mind, agree together in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. Maybe that's the issue, and it keeps coming back up and again and again and again and again. Why do you keep telling me rejoice in the Lord? Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's God's Word telling some of us that we need to get joyful in God. We need to find that place of joy. We're just, we're on a bummer, and it's of our own making. It's not from Jesus. Let your sweet reasonableness, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray together, shall we?